Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfer Markt and creator of Football Grads, Manuel Beth. Manu, how are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Bryce. I'm really looking forward to the show once again. You know, we're, we're joined by, by Stefan and not Chris, who is very busy with Amazon. But as he always says, he's always here anyways. But looking really forward to the show because I think we've got some really fascinating topics this week. Yeah, I seem to say it um, most weeks, don't I, that uh, we've got plenty to talk about. A lot of a lot of topics, a lot of headlines. But yeah, we, we've managed to do it again, haven't we? Or not us, I suppose, the Bundesliga sides. Um, so yeah, we, we better get into it. But uh, as Manu said, uh, Chris is not here. He'll be back uh, soon enough, I'm sure. So we're joined by Stefan Biankowski, uh, Bundesliga journalist once again. Stefan, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I, I certainly do feel as though Chris is definitely here in spirit. I can feel him. I can feel his breath on my neck. Um, actually, that's actually a horrible image, but I, I meant it in a nice possible way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we always get plenty of feedback when Chris is uh, you're doing the editing tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I think Manu and I also feel his presence constantly during this. But uh, right, we better be we better be on it today, okay? Uh, anyway, guys, let, let's get started because, as I said, we, we've got loads to get through. So, um. Yeah, let, let's start with big news uh, that came out of uh, Gelsenkirchen today. Uh, Schalke have sacked their head coach. Uh, no, please, please don't turn off the podcast. This is not an old one. Uh, they've just moved um, in, in a way to sack their fourth coach this season. Yes, fourth. Uh, so that means Christian Gross um, has been the latest fatality in the coaching role after a 5-1 defeat to Stuttgart. Manu... What is going on? I mean, th- this is unbelievable. I-, I suppose, you know, it it doesn't come as a surprise that much anymore, but but why now? What- why was this decision taken now? Yeah, you're saying Christian Gross has been sacked. I think uh, everyone has been sacked by Schalke today. I mean, should we go through that list? Because it is a substantial one. It's like Christian Gross fired. Jochen Schneider, the director of sport, fired. Sasha Rieder, sporting director, fired. Um, assistance coach Rainer Wiedmeier, fired. And even even the athletic coach was fired, Bryce. Everyone was let go by Schalke um, on on Sunday. Yeah, I, I was thinking, what? Why why the fitness coach? What, what's he done to anyone? Uh, it probably you know it was like I I almost envisioned like a Stalinist scenario where someone just signed a piece of paper and like put little check marks to all the names. It, it kind of feels like a perch, doesn't it? Like everyone was just being fired, for, just for good measure. It's. Um, there's a wonderful Italian word that's called tabula rasa, like clear table, right? And it kind of feels like that, that they just basically said, okay, well, look, this is this is it. We're done. I mean, if you lose 5-1 to Stuttgart, a very good Stuttgart side, by the way. I don't want to diminish um, Stuttgart's performance in any way. They're a very good team and they have been a very good team all year, but they were very poor. And when you look at the table, I mean, that's where do you even go from here? And we had this 
this chat before the podcast, Stefan, where we like said, okay, well, that, what is this even comparable to? And we were thinking about certain scenarios. We've brought up Kaiserslautern a few times in the past, right? But it really does feel like this club is just steerless at the moment. And it feels a little bit like one of those lower league sites in England where everything just falls apart on them. Yeah, it 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 feels as though, you know, just to kind of expand that analogy, it, it feels almost like when you see these horrible examples in English football when foreign owner comes in, things don't really work out. So he quickly wants to push the eject button and just starts kind of asset stripping the club. And by the time the fans have it back in their hands, it's kind of like this hollowed out shell of what it once was. And certainly seems to be the case with Schalke. You know, this isn't just a case of a few bad apples in the squad or, you know, a manager not doing his job. It's a case of, you know, chief executives having to leave after racist remarks or alleged racist remarks. It's fitness coaches getting sacked. It's fans storming the stadium after a derby loss. It, 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 it feels like the fall of Rome, except Rome is a small, it's not a small club, a big club in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, one, and, and, and one of, you know, German football's real institutions um so it's crazy and and the kind of scary thing is that you know once they get relegated because there's probably it's now almost inevitability it's, it's not as if they can just dump all those players get the expensive contracts at the door promote the youth team and crack on with things because it does seem as though top to bottom the whole thing has fallen apart and you really do worry for shock and you, you, you wonder what how far they have to fall before they can kind of get all this horrible ineffectiveness out of the club because it, it just feels like everything at every corner of the club just is fighting with itself right now. Yeah, the phrase rock bottom, right? Hitting rock bottom. And we're not even certain they have hit rock bottom yet, which is incredible thing because it feels like they have, but certainly it could get worse. And you bringing up Tunis and his racist remarks, and by any means they were absolutely racist, and having him forced out of the club was the right thing to do. Then on the other hand, he was also the financial backing for the club. It was his connections to the Kreml that brought the Gazprom deal to Schalke, right? And rescued the club financially. You, you wonder about like what's the sort of leadership that you can you can bring? Who's going to replace that kind of leadership with Tunis gone? And, and they will have to find that. And Without his money and his backing, um, I can't really see it, see that come in. Clearing house in so many ways. I mean, as he, as Bryce said, everyone, even the fitness coach, was fired. Like, what does that even mean? It's just, yeah, I don't. I kind of feel like the club hasn't even hit rock bottom yet. It it do, certainly does feel like if the right decisions are not being made right now um, or in the coming months once the club is relegated, because that's what it's going to be, this could get far worse. You know, we look at the table, you know, we seem to mention this uh, every week and we, we give Schalke plenty of uh, airtime. You know, they've only had one win this season, six draws, you know, nine points. You know, they're, they're behind Mainz, you know, who have 17 points. Um, Stefan, you mentioned that, you know, that there seems to be a lot of issues throughout the club. But I mean, if if you were to, if somebody there was to have a bit of sense, who should they bring in, or or what should the strategy plan be? You know, for for the rest of the season, or you know, this is fresh news. Do we already know, or it's, is there rumors as to who will come in? It's your guess is as good as mine at this point. To be perfectly honest with you, and I, 
and I don't just mean that in a kind of flippant way. I, I, I genuinely think any kind of self-respecting coach will look at that situation at Schalke and think it's a lose-lose situation. One of, when you guys were just talking there, I kind of thought popped into my head with regards to what happens maybe next season. You know, they do finally maybe, I mean, I guess they will have to appoint someone now or maybe they'll kind of stick with an interim coach for the rest of the season and just maybe try and rebuild for next year in the second division. But a name that popped into my head was, even though he's not technically a coach and he's still playing, is obviously like Klaasian Huntelaar. And what I mean by that is that once they get relegated and once they hit rock bottom and once they've had a clear out um, and they don't really have all these kind of expensive, bloated assets in that squad that obviously haven't been doing anything for quite a while now, you kind of maybe the best the best kind of solution for them would be a kind of former player like that. You know, obviously you want to do your due, your due diligence and find a, an ex-player who's done his coaching badges and obviously maybe has some experience as a coach. That strikes me as possibly the best case scenario. You know, you want someone who's obviously, who has experience of taking Schalke to, you know, some incredible heights in the Champions League, for example, um, challenging for cup competitions and stuff, even doing quite well in the Bundesliga. Having a, having like a kind of figurehead like that in charge of a young, impressionable Schalke team that is full of the kind of youth players that Schalke have never really struggled to produce. That strikes me as the most ideal situation going forward you know I think Schalke fans would maybe accept the scenario if they are in the second division but the club have kind of wiped the slate clean they've cut like 80% of that wage budget off and they're really kind of going back to humble beginnings but they maybe have a kind of figurehead in charge who can kind of galvanize a, a, a much younger and impressionable squad however that's maybe six months down the line what they do right now I really have no idea because if you kind of look at the the, the, the comp- uh, not the competition, the fixtures they have between now and the end of the season, it's looking quite worrying. They have this Mainz game uh, on Friday, which is going to be huge, obviously. What we would probably call uh, a six-pointer, uh, if you'll excuse the horrible cliche. And then, obviously, it's then Wolfsburg, Gladbach and Leverkusen. So, And then, you know, they've obviously got a few games against teams in the bottom half there as well, which they can try and pick up points. But if you're asking me, can that coach come in now and suddenly turn the squad into good enough players. I just don't think they can, because even though it probably is still one of the most expensively assembled squads or one of the biggest wage budgets in the Bundesliga, I still don't think it's anywhere near good enough to, to stay up. There's been some talk that uh, Mike Biskins, uh, together with um, youth coach uh, Elgert, is going to take over until the end of the season. And Mike Biskins, of course, you know, former Schalke player, part of the, the Eurofighters. Um, not sure if he is... If he is the coach that you know can bring vision and uh, new ideas and thinking to this club, but you know is probably someone who at least can guide this club towards the in- inevitable uh, relegation. It's it's going to be an interesting one because I'm not sure it's a long term solution either. I find what you think uh, what you're saying very interesting, Stefan. Like maybe someone someone with with the background, but who could who would really be wanting to do it? Um, you know, there's there's one name that frequently has popped up is uh, Domenico Tedesco bring him back to rebuild the team in the second division um, yeah it's it's an interesting one I think there's a lot of questions right now and very few answers when it comes to Schalke 04 and uh, it's probably a topic that we're going to readdress a few times um, as, the se- as the season goes towards its end 
Yeah, I have a feeling this isn't the last we're going to be talking of Schalke. But um, as you mentioned, uh, Manu there, your Tedesco, when he was there in uh, 2017-18 and they finished second, that seems like a very, very long time ago, doesn't it? But uh, let's fast forward to uh, present day and talk about the Champions League um, this week and a certain record maker. Davies did well. Here comes Goretzka. It's a nice switch to Jamal Musiala. Finds the bottom corner. And classy, way beyond his years. 18 in a few days' time, but the 17-year-old has done it in the UEFA Champions League for Bayern Munich. Yes, that was Jamal Musiala scoring. He was the youngest uh, English and German scorer in the Champions League um, you know, since, since it started. Being 17 years old, just turned 18 on Friday, actually. Um, Manu, plenty has been talked um, you know, before we get to the matches plenty has been p- talked about uh, what nationality um, he's going to choose when it comes to playing football and who he's going to represent um, do we know who that is now and does that mean that he has to drop one of those records? <laughs> I think you've been living under the rock if you haven't realised that Jamal Musiala chose Germany on uh, Thursday yeah, it's an interesting question, Bryce. Are you English? Are you an Englishman once you chose to play for Germany or are you British? Um, I, I honestly don't can't answer the, the, that question. Uh, I know that both of you uh, have British passports. Both you and Stefan have British passports but identify with a different nationality, right? So it's an interesting question. Uh, I think he's not the youngest British goal scorer. Uh, in Champions League history, that that title goes to Aaron Ra- Aaron Ramsey, who's Welsh. He would have been the youngest Englishman, and he's certainly the youngest German to score in the Champions League. Now that he's he's um, officially declared to play for Germany, I think it's it's fantastic news for Joachim Löw, who, despite putting every foot wrong for the last what is it now two and a half years, um, seems to be getting more and more options in in the squad and it's it's an interesting it's interesting and good news for germany too who despite having quote unquote um a bad generation of young players seem to have quite a bright future when you actually look at the talent pool available um especially now in midfield right and it's musiala is i find musiala opting for germany is fantastic news because it will add a player that we haven't seen play for Germany since Joachim Löw retired, Thomas Müller. It's a very similar kind of player. It's, it's a player that we need in that position. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in. Um, but I think he will make this team better over time. I mean, we have to remember he just turned 18 on Friday, right? So I think it's fantastic news for Joachim Löw. It's fantastic news for German football. It's, uh, I think it's fantastic news for Jamal Musiala too, because if you play for Bayern and you, you play for Germany, I think that's a very good combination. And it's going to be very interesting how all of that fits in um, if the German national team plans. And I think this is something that, you know, I think, Stefan, you have a few ideas and thoughts about this too. And you were also kind of pointing out before this podcast that it might not be the worst loss for England either. Yeah, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I think from a purely pragmatic point of view for the player himself, I think, which, by the way, I don't think is really the reason he did make the decision. Um, but even if you look at it from a purely pragmatic point of view, there's there are gaps in this German generation um, that he could fill. But when you look at England, they seem to have a number of players in that role. Um, and he really would be up against it. You know, I, I, I had a big grin on my face there when you were kind of giving Joachim Dove the credit there because I've... I, 
perhaps I'm being a bit mean here, but I'm kind of tempted to suggest that it could be his his Bayern teammates week in, week out. We know um we know how deceivious uh, mischievous rather Bayern Munich players can be, especially when maybe they're on international duty and they're trying to convince a rival player to join their club. So I guess this is the opposite where they're trying to convince a club player to join their nation. Um and I think just for the kid himself it seems to make a lot of sense. He's in a very good situation at Bayern Munich. He's surrounded by the team, the players uh, that he'll he'll be playing with in the national team. Uh, the, I mean, the German national team also seem to do better, as, as far as I can tell, when they do have a strong kind of Bayern core to them, or, you know, in recent history, when it was a Bayern and a Dortmund core to them. Um, yeah, and I think he's a unique talent. I'm, 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 I'm a little hesitant. Um, to draw too many comparisons with Thomas Muller, even though they're very obvious and very direct, because you know he's obviously basically the cover for Muller at, at at Bayern Munich right now. But I, I think we sometimes, even on a podcast like this, or you know people who are fanatical about German football, I think we still have, and I do this myself. I think we have a habit of just still underrating just how incredible a player Thomas Muller has been for club and country. Uh, he's continuing to do so uh, this season. Um, you know, we're talking about a player who I kind of did the numbers before uh, last night that he's actually averaging more goals and assists than Lionel Messi this season when you exclude penalties. That's the kind of caliber of player we're kind of happily associating Musiala with before he's even really played a full season for Bayern. Um, so, you know, and, and I think as well, like we kind of saw this against Cologne, uh, FC Cologne on Saturday where Sometimes he can kind of drop out of this team. Sometimes he can look a little lost. He's still learning his trade. He's not the finished product. So I'm not really trying to pour cold water on this. I'm not trying to be a spoil sport at all. I just I'm 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 just kind of a little wary for the kid if we just if we're all just kind of putting our feet up and saying, Oh great, Germany have their new Thomas Mueller because it's 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 like saying, you know, it, I, I really do think it's equivalent of just some 16 or 17 year old kid coming through for Bayern and suddenly he's Robert Lewandowski's replacement. I think that's the kind of caliber caliber of player we're, we're claiming Musiala is, is undoubtedly going to be. So uh, that's my only thing. But I think I think picking Jeremy is a great, great choice for him, um, not just in terms of his own personal feelings, but also professionally. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he's going to be a great asset for whatever side he joins, whether that's club or country, isn't it, you know, in, in years to come. But uh, you're probably right, Stefan, to, to, you know, play it down a little bit. We've all got to remember, as I said, he's just turned 18 on Friday, you know. But uh, Manu, to, to talk about uh, Muller, did, does this mean that the, the talk of Muller playing for Germany, you know, is over now? We're not, we're not going to talk about that anymore because it seems to pop up a lot. <laughs> I, I just posted that this is on, on Twitter this morning. Um, I love the numbers that you brought up, Stefan, because Thomas Müller is on his position, probably the best player in the world, you know, and he's, he's invented a position that previously didn't exist in many ways. And we thought, or a lot of people thought, including myself and shame on me for thinking that, that Germany would be okay without him. And um, when the decision was made to, no longer call up Thomas Müller to the national team. I think a lot of people were kind of blinded by the fact that he was playing under a coach that maybe didn't quite appreciate his talent level either for Bayern Munich, right? So we thought, okay, this would be okay. Um, Hansi Flick comes in and 31, 32-year-old Thomas Müller 
is producing numbers that he has produced hasn't produced since his mid twenties, and I would argue that he's probably the best and number ten in the world right now. If there is such a thing, if you if you if you can describe in, in any mean in any way what Thomas Müller's position actually is, right? I think that's probably the closest thing. He's he's not really a number ten, but it's he's a phenomenal player. And um, I thought it was really interesting that Joachim Löw basically came out today and. Uh, trying to blame the pandemic for the fact that he's probably going to recall Thomas Müller to the national team. I thought <laughs> I thought that was very interesting, uh, rather than just admitting that he may have been wrong and he needs a player like Thomas Müller and possibly um, Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng as well. Uh, and, you know, which I think they need those two players as well because the, the talent pool in defense is, is a lot thinner than it is in midfield. Germany has a, has a ton of players in midfield. We, we can't forget that. But I find it very interesting that Löw basically blamed the pandemic um, rather than saying, if I, Joachim, I'm Joachim Löw and I'm, I'm recalling you, Thomas Müller, and I think it's going to happen, then I say, look, when I made the decision, it didn't seem like Thomas Müller was maybe not at the, his best anymore. Over the last year and a half, he has produced the sort of numbers that he produced in his mid-20s. I made a mistake. I'm going call up because he is one of the best players Germany have. The German national team is supposed to be a collection of the best players in our country. And Thomas Müller is one of them. But I guess Joachim Löw is Joachim Löw. So if the pandemic brings back uh, Thomas Müller, I think we can be all happy about it as well. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? But uh, let's talk about Bayern then uh, a little bit. Obviously, Thomas Muller came back for the game uh, against Köln. Uh, unfortunately for the FC fans, they were on the end of a 5-1 defeat. Though, uh, Bayern Munich looking ever so good, Stefan. They won 5-1 uh, and midweek they beat Lazio. That didn't even seem like much of a much more than a training uh, game, to be honest, as well. They, they didn't seem to have to get out of third gear. Yeah, I was quite surprised at this, actually, when I watched the Lazio game. I kind of made the comment at the time on Twitter that it was as if Lazio hadn't watched a single Bayern Munich game in the Bundesliga this season. You know, they sat deep. They were very slow. They, they gave Bayern Munich all of the ball. And they just basically made the game as easy as they possibly could. I saw a few, a few, a few Italian journalists suggesting that, you know, Bayern Munich have been outstanding. Uh, it just goes to show how good they are. And I responded one or two, one or, one or two of them saying... This has probably been the best, the easiest first half that Bayern Munich had in about six months or something. Because we've, as we all know, you know, from time to time in the Bundesliga this season, they have kind of tripped up. They've kind of looked a bit sloppy. Very average teams have made them made them look very average. Um, but I think this also may be a good example of maybe a kind of allowing us to recalibrate how we kind of view Bayern Munich in the context of all European football. At least it did for me. Um, because I've been watching Bayern Munich within the prism of German football for so long, for the last couple of months, since the group stages, I've, I've just kind of associated myself with thinking, well, you know, Bayern look like they're full of errors. They don't look quite as good as last season. It's, they just look like a team they are just waiting for a, a better team or even a half-decent team to kind of make an example of them. And then Champions League returns and they have their easiest game in months. So... You know, we might be looking at Bayern Munich team here that aren't as good as last season, but aside from maybe Manchester City and PSG, they're probably still in a better situation than any other team in Europe at the moment. Um, so, you know, and obviously that uh, the game on Saturday is maybe a, another good example of that, that even though um, in midweek uh, Hansi Flick was struggling to put together a full bench, he then was able to kind of bring on Gnabry, he was able to bring on Muller, 
uh, and very quickly they kind of destroyed Cologne. So, so far so good, I'd say. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's kind of the gist of it, to be fairly honest with you. I think the Champions League's maybe kind of been like a reset button for them, and it's kind of suggested that actually things aren't as bad as maybe their form in the Bundesliga over the last maybe five or six weeks have suggested. You know, maybe they're getting challenged a little bit more in the Bundesliga than they get challenged in the in the Champions League. Maybe we don't give the Bundesliga enough credit. Because then when you compare Lazio to Eintracht Frankfurt, interesting enough, we're the last German team to beat Lazio in Italy as well, right? Maybe the Bundesliga teams, maybe we don't give this league enough credit. And we are a little bit blinded, of course, but what, what Hoffenheim and Leverkusen have done in the Europa League this last week, which obviously didn't make the Bundesliga look very good. But I think there's two individual cases that have a lot of issues individually, so that can be explained. Um, but I think that even Köln were better than Lazio for large parts of that game. You know, the 5-1 was very harsh in the end. That, that game, you know, just before Thomas Müller comes in, I think Köln have a chance to equalize, make it 2-2. And then Müller comes on and first pass he plays, finds Lewandowski in 3-1, it's game over. And I think you just deflate after that stage, after that point, right? That's that's just how it is. Um, but I, I find this, it's an, it's an interesting point. I had this discussion with um, with uh, Justin Kraft from Mirsan Roth on Twitter as well, that maybe the Bundes, maybe we just underestimate the Bundesliga a little bit and the challenges that Bayern face in the Bundesliga are just way harder than what they faced in the Bundesliga four years ago, which I think helps them in the Champions League. Because if you are challenged week in and week out in your own domestic league, and then you face someone like Lazio, you, you're going to take that opponent serious. And I'm with you, Stefan. Um, I, I personally can only see City really. I think that's the only dangerous team that they're facing in Europe at the moment. That's the only team there I can say, like, look, that could be a dangerous opponent for them. But then again, I think Bayern would be a dangerous opponent for City as well. It would be probably the best possible fin- final that we could get in the Champions League. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to turn around and say that Köln could have won that game on Saturday, but I think if they had a little bit of firepower up top, uh, things could have been slightly different, couldn't they? But, um, uh, Stefan, just before we talk uh, about uh, RB Leipzig uh, and, the, and the title challenge, uh, are we looking at, you know, the title is very much still in Bayern's hands uh, and it's for them to lose, really? Isn't every Bundesliga title uh, <laughs> from... The last, what, 10 years has kind of been the case. Uh, I mean, I think the really interesting thing will possibly be when they obviously play Borussia Dortmund this coming match day. Um, I'd love to kind of get into the head of a Dortmund fan ahead of this game because on the one hand, they obviously want to beat Bayern Munich, but on the, the other, they if they beat Bayern Munich, they're helping RB Leipzig with, get, almost get one hand on that trophy, which... Despite the last couple of years and what the two clubs have gone through in terms of rivalry, I reckon most Dortmund fans would probably still have Bayern Munich win the title and CRB Leipzig do it. So, you know, that would be really fun and really interesting. But yeah, I think Bayern are still setting the, the pace here. I think we said on last week's podcast that it'll be really interesting if or when Leipzig do get knocked out of the Champions League, if that does benefit them in the long run because they're able to you know, focus all their attention on the Bundesliga, aside from a few Pokal games, possibly. So, you know, I think Bayern's definitely will probably still have a lot more to juggle because uh, they'll obviously still be going to retain that uh, the Champions League title as well. But um, I, I think, you know, your safe money, I think, is still on Bayern at this point. But, you know, for the sake of neutrals around the world who enjoy the league, I think 
I think most people were happy to see. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not being fair on your traditional Bundesliga fan, but I certainly was happy to see Leipzig kind of grab that last minute winner uh, on Saturday night and, and keep this title race alive. It's an interesting question, though. I'm glad you bring that up because it's the classic next week, Stefan. So, and Dortmund may not like it, but they need to win that game, don't they? Especially now that they've closed that gap to Frankfurt to three points and top four finish would possibly secure them keeping Sancho and Haaland for another season with the way the financials are going, the talk that you're hearing out of Dortmund. They have to win the Klassiker now. And I, I reckon if they do, Leipzig will go first. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, this is very possible, but I suppose RB have Wolfsburg to play as well, don't they? I mean, Stefan, what's your view? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's all to play for. That's that's the kind of really fun, interesting thing about it. I, I was quite surprised to see Frankfurt lose on Friday, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but it, it kind of goes to show how exciting the league is this season that you have these kind of four or five teams really taking chunks out of one another whenever they do play against one another. Um, you know, Wolfsburg have been incredible so far this season. I think they really benefited from not having to worry uh, about uh, a European competition uh, to continue playing in. But I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens, to be perfectly honest with you. I really do think, uh, I still think this is Bayern Munich to kind of to win, to be honest with you, to lose rather, to be perfectly honest with you. We have seen them drop points. It really... But, you know, I think possibly the most interesting thing is just the manner in which Julian Nagelsmann was really screaming throughout that match on Saturday. Uh, he was really kicking every ball and flying into every tackle with his players. You could see how furious he was at the concept of dropping points. And yeah, sure, every head coach technically hates losing games or dropping points, but he, he was certainly putting on a good show to suggest that he's fully aware of how close and how tight things are in this title race. Uh, because I think maybe three or four months ago, if he ended up having to accept a draw with Gladbach, um, you know, he would have been maybe fine with it. But the fact that he was really properly going mental on that sideline suggests that he's well aware of how, how, how close his side are to making history. That, that last 45 minutes, uh, second half by Leipzig, I thought I was watching Bayern, Stefan, the way they were playing. And it was the sort of performance that you only see from Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. Because any other team, they go down 2-0 against one, a club like Gladbach, it's game over, right? That's just how it is. Dortmund go down 2-0 against Gladbach, it's game over. Um, same for Wolfsburg or Frankfurt or all the other sides. But you had the sense that Leipzig were like, no, not today. We're not gonna go. We're not going to give up those points. And it was interesting how it was methodically almost how they picked up those three points in the end because they gave one goal, then they got a second goal, and you just I, you never had any doubt really in your mind that they would get that final goal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think Bayern esque is probably the perfect example of it. And that's probably. The, the kindest compliment you can pay a Bundesliga team uh, these days. Uh, you know, the manner in which uh, I thought also not only just the way that they actually won the game and, you know, obviously went on to claim uh, all three points, but the kind of the quality that they were able to throw on in the second half, you know, Forsberg came on, Sorloth came on. You know, these are big players who, when fit, could even be starting uh, for Leipzig. So, you know, we maybe don't really... Um, associate Leipzig with having individual 
world stars, maybe like a Dortmund or a, or a Bayern do. But the way that they were kind of bringing on these bigger and better players as the game went on, and you could see the way Gladbach were kind of falling apart. You could see they were getting tired. Um, even just the way they were kind of arguing about that final goal, um, it just kind of struck as a team who had... I mean, in my opinion, um, I thought they were quite fortunate with the two goals at the start of the game, and then they didn't really have much to show for it afterwards, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, you know, Leipzig did look like Bayern Munich, and kind of as a as a result, they looked like a team who were really gunning for the championship. Yeah, it feels like every game now for RB, I, I think to the end of the season uh, in the Bundesliga anyway, is going to be a do or die, isn't it? So as I said, they've got the Pokal uh, midweek against uh, Wolfsburg and then they'll be coming up against uh, Freiburg. So we'll just have to see if they're top this time next week. It would be fascinating, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, an exciting game, uh, as you guys have been mentioning, uh, the late kickoff game against Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, on Saturday. Um, <laughs> obviously, Gladbach were uh, 2-0 up and and then, well, they, they threw it away or RB came back very strong, will we say. I'll not take it away from RB, but um, uh, yeah, what, what a finale. Here's Forsberg and the header down goes in from Solot. Well, unless that one's ruled out, it's a magnificent turnaround victory. Borussia Mönchengladbach think that that should be ruled out. But RB Leipzig is celebrating. Yes, that was Alexander Surloff clinching the comeback uh, win and the three points uh, in the 93rd minute for RB. But um, Manu, let's talk about uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, They've really not looked themselves the last few weeks. So what exactly is going on at the moment? Uh, There seems to be a a lot of issues behind behind the scenes. It feels like if we're bringing up a coach today, you know, uh, you're in a bit of trouble, it seems. Coaches are a big discussion point today, you're right. Um, Marco Rosa is the next one in our list. The Champions League game against City, and I understand it's City, I thought was already a huge disappointment the way Gladbach played in that game. I get it. Um, they they tried to hit City on the counter-attack, but I, I would argue that they were probably more active against Bayern Munich, and they should have probably approached the City game the same way than they approached the uh, Bayern Munich game earlier in the season, the game that they won, right? And I get there's a second leg, and um, two goals down is doable, especially because there's no fans in the stadiums. I think there, there, there's still something to be played for, but it was just the the manner of it. And you saw the same against against Leipzig, and I mean, let's be honest here, as Stefan already alluded earlier, their the goals were gifted to them, that Upamecano pe- penalty. I, I'm of the opinion it was a soft penalty. I know there's a lot of people on Twitter seeing it otherwise. Um, I think that, that that's a typical penalty that's typically given in the Bundesliga, but not in any other league. Um, I, I might get butchered for saying this, but I think it was soft. Um, but, you know, for the fact that... Like, Gladbach were up by two goals and two gifted goals and couldn't do anything with it. It's just the spark seems to be gone. And that is an indication for me that maybe Rosa doesn't reach the players anymore. And I think there is something to it. You heard all sorts of rumors coming out after he made the announcement that he was going to join Borussia Dortmund at the end of the season. And it may or may not be true, but the fact that the rumors exist suggests to me that there is, uh, you know, where there's, where there's fire, there's smoke. And I think there's a lot of smoke when it comes to Gladbach and the relationship between the sporting director, Max Ewald to Rose and Rose and the players after he made the decision. And 
It's an interesting question that we have to ask. Should Rose just step down at this stage now and allow Gladbach to just move on? I understand that with Hacking, they made the decision to part ways and hire Rose and Hacking stayed until the end of the season. But it's a different dynamic when the club says, okay, we're going a different direction um, because the coach never never gave up on the players, right? And in this case, it's the coach who gave him up on the players and and the and the club. And I can see why the players would not necessarily follow the coach anymore. And I, I mean, this is an interesting one to ask, right, Stefan? Is is this maybe the time when you say as Rose, okay, well, look, I'm going to hand over the reins to someone else until the end of the season? Yeah, that was certainly the question I was kind of pondering myself after the game. I, I must admit. I feel like um, I feel like a bit of an outsider here when I do kind of find myself mumbling about the way that the Bundesliga teams do behave when it comes to hiring and sacking managers. Um, you know, I kind of posed a question that I've I've kind of posed this question a number of times this season actually since Dortmund uh, got rid of Lucien Favre that they could have saved themselves so much bother if they had just hired the next manager then and there which would have obviously gone on to be Marco Rosa. You know, they've kind of fixed things now, but back then you were really worrying if Dortmund were going to be able to finish the top four, if they were going to be able to keep their best players, if they were going to be able to make enough money next season to pay the bills, etc. And if this is all resting on this old tradition of not, you know, not, not, not poaching a manager from another Bundesliga side or from anywhere, really, then it just strikes me as... Um, a little too old-fashioned for my liking. And, and I've now found myself feeling the same way about Gladbach, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, if the players have down tools, I don't have any inside information to suggest they have. Um, I can only base it on what's been reported in Germany and elsewhere. But, and you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to maybe draw a few conclusions from the way that the teams have been playing recently. Um, I, I don't understand why they would kind of stick with Rosa. Even, even if they just kind of put him on guarding leave, and by that, I mean, they still pay him and he's still employed by the club, but they effectively release him of his duties and, you know, they promote a, promote a youth coach to the end of the season or something. And then, you know, they, I don't know, they, they announce Jesse Marsh at the end of the season, whoever else they want to bring in. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting that Adi Hooters kind of distanced himself from the job um, today on Sunday. Um, and, you know, it's kind of similar, well, Actually, it's not at all like Schalke. I'm sorry, I'll have advanced for drawing that comparison. But what I mean by that is that because the situation's gotten so bad at the moment, can't imagine the Gladbach job looks all that appealing to an Adi Hooter or any kind of you know exciting coach uh, in Germany or maybe some in the Austrian Bundesliga. Maybe when Rosa initially said he was, or when the club initially confirmed that he was moving to Dortmund, at that point, it may have been smart to bring in a Hooter. It may have been smart to bring in a Mersch or whoever else and said, right, you know, we're, at this point, we're still a club pushing for the Champions League. Sign in a dotted line here, please. Okay, great. We'll see you in, in May. Now I'm not so sure. And then on the flip side as well, you've now got a situation where you've got Dortmund pushing for top four under a side to finally look a little revitalized under their interim head coach. But You've got Dortmund fans looking on the horizon at the fact that the guy who's going to be taking over in the summer is currently bombing with Gladbach. So I kind of made a joke at the time when the kind of uh, Marco Rosa story was breaking on Twitter that it'd be quite funny if Dortmund ended up hiring Rosa after his team sunk to mid-table 
And then Gladbach hired Adi Hütter from Frankfurt after he finished above Dortmund and Gladbach. Um, now, that's might not going to happen now because it looks like Hütter doesn't really want to leave Frankfurt. But it's the, it, it just kind of sums up how crazy this whole situation is. Uh, and I think... I think all the clubs involved would have saved themselves a huge amount of bother if they just hired the coaches when they wanted them. Well, as we said, you know, when we're talking about coaches today, we're we're mentioning them for for the wrong reasons, and uh, that means that we're going to move from uh, one Ryan club to another and talk about Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Peter Bosk is having a terrible time there, uh, Manu, since the turn of the year. Uh, we've seen Sunday as we record this day, you, he's still got that job but you know he, he's doing a good job of not having that role anymore as they lost to uh, Freiburg and then Europa League midweek they went out to uh, young boys of Switzerland Manu he's he's trading on, on thin ice at this stage isn't he it's the Europa League result that probably gets me the most because I had a sporting director Simon Rolfes on record um, saying to me that this is a competition they were going to take serious and the the four three in Bern against Young Boys is maybe is maybe forgivable because that's three away goals, right? That's that's a result that you can overcome. The second leg was um, a disaster, and it puts a bad light on the club, but but also a bad light on the Bundesliga because we were, as we were saying earlier, you have teams in the Champions League performing really well, and then you have teams like Leverkusen just bombing in the Europa League year in year round and. In my opinion, it's not a, it's a problem not of the quality of the players on the pitch, but it's a problem of a mindset that goes far deeper than this. And it starts oftentimes with the selection of the head coach and also maybe the people in charge. You know, it's one thing saying that you want to win the competition and another that going out and do it. You know, that's that's two different things. I think it's it's when you look at Leverkusen and the situation there. It's for me a situation where the club is now very much in danger of losing out in Europe altogether. And um, that's something that they simply cannot afford doing. But there's little things that just bother me so much, like the fact that Leonard Grill, their youth keeper, wasn't registered for the Europa League. And this other guy that they brought in, Loeb, made an absolute meal out of it and is making a meal out of it week in, week out. And that is just the sort of selection that is that screams Leverkusen for me. But it's it's more than that, too. The, the fact that then instead of um, registering your your second goal, best goalkeeper in the club, you're bringing in your three new signings, uh, Frimpong, Fuzu Mensa, and uh, Gray. And those three don't offer something new. They're all three very good players, but they don't really offer anything new to what the club already had in the squad. And I know, Stefan, we talked about this last week. We didn't have it on the show because we felt this was a topic that was still going to be current by the time we get to the to the show today and and boy it's true it still is a current topic their recruitment process seems odd and you have a really interesting theory yeah um i guess it boils down to the idea that they they seem to be signing players who they already have the intention of selling you know, I thought when they when they I kind of raised an eyebrow when Frimpong arrived at the club because I watched him quite extensively in Scottish football, and he's a very raw player. Um, you know, we saw that actually on in Sunday in the Freiburg game where, you know, he has pace to burn, but very little, um, you know, creative output in terms of his passing and his crossing. He's been fine for Leverkusen, but it just strikes me as one of these players who Leverkusen will just try and coach, they'll try and produce him, and then in the first flicker of interest, they'll do their best to maybe move him on to England when uh, a, a 
club comes along and maybe picks him up. And I do wonder with Leverkusen, I think I was on the podcast two or three weeks ago and I was asked and I said, I kind of got the impression, and this was probably before we realised the extent of this poor run of form, but I kind of suggested it's almost as if they're already in this rebuild period and they're already looking ahead to next season because they were bringing in these players in January who, as Manu perfectly points out there, they're not guys who are immediately going to go into the team um, and make a huge difference. Although I thought Gray was okay today against Freiburg, but you know, I look at that team and it's not wingers that they're crying out for. Maybe not even fullbacks that they're crying out for at the moment. I know that most of them are probably going to move on at the end of the season that they have, but they've already, they've currently got about four of them. Um, you know, so it's almost as if they're kind of putting the cart before the horse here and they're thinking, right, let's, let's sign these guys who, you know, we can develop for two or three years and sell them on to Spain or England or Bayern Munich or whatever else. Um, rather than maybe trying to plug the genuine holes uh, in Peter Bosch's side um, because you know he's had huge injuries he's had huge problems in the team um, and I think you know probably the biggest example of all this is the fact that his team are so undeniably reliant on Florian Wurst every single season every single week to kind of dig them out of an issue I thought that was the case today against Freiburg he didn't really have the best of games um, but again, you know, to go back to the Musiala thing, we're talking about 17-year-old kid here. Can't really be expecting him to be the best player, but he really is when it comes down to this. And if, I think just about every game he scored in this season, Leverkusen have gone on to win. The only two games they've actually won out of the last 12 have been games that he really stood out and scored in. Um, so even though they've got Bailey and they've got these players uh, up front and in defence, there's a glaring number 10 role there that some 17-year-old kid is really having to pick up the slack with all season. And sure, he's been fantastic and sure, he's been interesting, but um, I think it's a glaring issue that that hasn't been addressed and perhaps the recruitment side of the club are more interested in who they can pick up um, to sell on in a couple of years rather than maybe trying to fix the issues with, the, with the, the team right now. And you know, from whispers I've been hearing around the club, I really do think Bosch's position really is on the line. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the time some of the people listen to his podcast tune in this week that he may already be gone. Well, I'm going to give you guys a one final question before we wrap it up, and it's a yes/no answer. Manu, will Peter Bosk be in charge for not our next podcast? Brutal, Bryce. I hate yes and no answers. You know that. Um, <laughs> God, do I have to answer this one? I, I would say. I'm leaning out of the window now, and I'm going to say no. <laughs> Stefan, will he be in, in his current role uh, this time next week? Yes, he will, or no, he won't. I'm going to say no as well, which will be fantastic when he's still on the job and he's beating Gladbach and myself and Manu who look like fools on the next podcast. <laughs> to be honest, I probably would have went with you guys as well, but hey, let's wait and see what happens Sam. Yeah, we, we got there. We got through everything. And yeah, if you're a coach out there, a head coach, uh, and you're listening, you weren't mentioned, well done. You're probably not, you know, you're treading on thin ice and uh, should be looking for a new job soon. Hey, but um, anyway, uh, guys, um, midweek, you've got plenty of uh, German football going on. You've got the Spy Bundesliga tomorrow night, Monday night, that is. You've got the Hamburg Derby. You've got the Pokal Tuesday and Wednesday night. And then, yeah, as Stefan mentioned on Friday night, too, we've got uh, Schalke versus Mainz. So you've got loads of football this week, even if it's not European action. So uh, plenty to keep you uh, entertained. And we'll be back before you know it. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And I'll beat us in. 
Ende in Sicht. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.